Welcome to the Always Never Right podcast, podcast with adult ingredients just for Gen Xers who are getting to middle age and are wondering how the fuck that happened. Thanks for joining us on the Podfix Network. I'm Jill Farrell. And I'm Gina. And tonight we are discussing what we feel are movies that define our generation. Um, We agreed we would purposely leave out all John Hughes slash Brat Pack slash teen angst movies because we've covered them somewhat already. And that was really too easy. So we had to come up with lists that would totally be apart from those that we felt really spoke to our generation and shaped the way we think now or thought then. Um, but before we get started, Ojillian, Maven of the Cocktail, do describe today's drink. Well, you can't really talk about defining our generation without thinking about music, too. And so even though I didn't actually choose the movie that matches the drink as one that defined our generation, it doesn't mean that I don't think it should at least be mentioned, because for sure, the artist was a generation defining artist. And so our drink is called the Purple Rain, which, of course, is homage to Prince, who was arguably one of our biggest probably influencers during our whole generation growing up oh fuck yes absolutely not only was he an artist in his own right but he also wrote music and did a lot of things for other artists who were very important so we decided to go with the purple rain because we felt like it fit the theme the purple rain is actually really freaking good it's almost as good as the song (laughs) it's uh, a vodka it's blue curacao. It's a pineapple and cranberry juice. And then it's got grenadine. And then it's got a squeeze of lime. It looks like grape Kool-Aid. And it doesn't taste like grape Kool-Aid, but it tastes really good. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Holy shit. I, I, I'm speechless. And I realized that I did say tastes. And that's sort of an homage to Millie because that was a thing that she used to say. And that's sort of something we just say in our house. Oh, this taste is good. (laughs) So, yeah, I think this is pretty tasty. It really is. It's amazing. It's it's on the thick side. Yeah. Because of the pineapple juice, I think. Yeah. Especially if you use like a, a fresh pineapple juice or pineapple nectar instead of just like a juice juice. That makes a difference. Which I did, because when we were discussing the cocktail to have, I said, oh, I've got pineapple juice and cranberry juice and all those ingredients. That's awesome. Then discovered I didn't. Um, But for Father's Day, uh, I took John the Brit to Global Market, his happy place. And they had, I couldn't find pineapple juice, but I found pineapple nectar. So that might be a thickening agent. That's super fun. Also, something interesting to note, if you're using pineapple juice or pineapple nectar, when you shake your drink, if you shake it hard enough, you get that nice little foamy head on the top. Oh, yeah. Pineapple juice works the same way as egg white does in cocktails quite often and adds that foamy bit to it. So it makes it nice and creamy. Aren't you the mixologist? I am indeed. Oh, actually. I'm actually just very close to getting my mixology certification. You fancy schmance. You're a badass. I love it. Okay. Well, cool. Am I as much of a badass as Thelma and Louise? Oh, they are pretty fucking badass. That's Uh my first movie that I wanted to talk about. Awesome. So 
<coughs> I felt like Thelma and Louise needed to be included in this because I think it shaped sort of the way um, I'll call them chick movies. There had been chick movies before this, like where the boys are and things like that. But something about the way Thelma and Louise was made kind of brought it into a new zone because it was more about female empowerment and guys liked it too. I mean, it wasn't just a chick flick. I mean, it's not like every movie about male characters is called a guy flick and it's not exactly an anti-male movie. It's just a movie about like shit that happens to women all too often. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a movie that I think could at least in many scenes pass the, the Bechdel test. Oh, yeah. This movie definitely does, like, most of it. I know, which is completely awesome, because for once, stuff is driving the plot rather than just a fucking man. And women weren't there to be accoutrements to men. And and we needed that. I think that one of the things that made this shape the generation is is it kind of started... um, It kind of started the conversation about abuse... You know, women are raped every day. Women are abused every day. And this movie kind of brought it to light and says that that's not good enough. Now, I do think that shooting the rapey guy after she was actually safe and wasn't in danger anymore probably wasn't justified. But at least he didn't get away with it. And he didn't ever do it again. <laughs> I I want to point out that you were the one getting all into legal arguments and um, pedanticism. So, yeah. for a change. Well, I also think my world. this movie also showed that running away from your problems only makes things worse. And that's something that I've been a huge advocate for. Just like fucking face it, man. Just do what you got to do. Damn. Go you. You chose a fucking deep one right out the gate. I so. did something interesting about this when I was kind of looking it up. Oh. <laughs> the original leads that were chosen for this. Mm-hmm. And I have a really hard time picturing them. Michelle Pfeiffer and Jodie Foster. Really? I don't even see them being in a movie together. Like, they're not even a little bit the same. How interesting. I think, I don't know. I would have trouble pegging which is which. And maybe it's just because of the movies since then, but I can absolutely peg the Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis characters. Well, I think Michelle Pfeiffer would have played the waitress. She would have been Susan Sarandon and Jodie Foster would have been the wife. But they were chosen for the leads and they actually accepted the roles. But pre-production took too long and they had to drop out because of other commitments. Oh, wow. Wow. I thought that was super weird. That is super weird. And I got to admit, I've always seen Jodie Foster ever since we were kids and all the movies she was in, like Freaky Friday and everything, as too much... And I don't mean this in the bad way at all, but I'd have trouble seeing her in the um, Gina Davis role. Gina Davis, to me, did the spectrum, but I've always seen Jodie Foster as a badass. So I couldn't see her taking the subversive thing to start and growing. But that could just be my preconceived biases. I don't know. Whereas Gina Davis, she did that growth as a career trajectory as it turned out yeah that's true that's true she started out in very fluffy movies and and ended up being in like the long kiss goodnight which was like let me go fight somebody that totally was my fight movie i came out of there i think we talked about in a prior episode you actually nearly having a fight after that i just did me and steve went to the we were going out i'm like let's get a fight (laughs) 
I just came out of there going, motherfucker, I want to do that. So yeah, that was, yeah. Anyway, but I know when you think about like the first movie role I ever remember in was like a second purse, like a secondary character in Tootsie where she stood half naked in front of a mirror with Dustin Hoffman. <gasps> mine, is, and, mine is that pirate one she was in with Carrie Elwes. <laughs> <laughs> whatever that's like considered one of the worst movies ever oh i know it um oh shit it's like Uh, called pirates of something i'm trying to remember i okay excuse me while i imdb this because i should know this because she's one of my idols and yet i'm coming up short here so while you're doing that i will say that i did a couple of like what movies define gen x and i pulled up you know several different lists and honest to God, most of them I had I hadn't seen. They're movies like I knew about, and I'm like, oh yeah, everybody talks about this movie. Everybody talks about this movie, but they're movies I literally haven't seen. <laughs> like, oh shit, I should watch a lot of these movies because here's 25 movies, and out of these 25, I've seen two. <laughs> I to- oh, I'm a terrible Gen Xer. No, I mean, same here. I had a uh, part of that issue too. And by the way, the movie's name is Cutthroat Island, and yes, it was actually Cutthroat Island. That was it. Matthew Modine. Oh, was it? Yes. Okay. So, but he had the floppy hair thing going right then. And then the movie sure. poster, they he looks did. like, yeah. in the movie poster, he looks very hard, like he's trying to be the Dread Pirate Roberts. Yeah. Well, he probably was. Oh. How about you bring up your movie? Okay. So, um, oh my gosh. I did have. Dread Pirate Roberts. Yeah, I had so, so many issues narrowing. Well, do I want to go with that theme or do I want to continue on the Gina Davis theme? I think you got to go Dread Pirate Roberts, man. You just said it. I did, didn't I? So let's segue off to Princess Bride because how many people in our age group can quote the shit out of that motherfucker? I'm pretty sure everybody. I know, like my favorite, of course, is Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You kill my father. father. Prepare Prepare to 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 die. Although I also love, unless you studied your Agrippa, which I have. <laughs> yeah. I, I, always, I say frequently, I do not think this means what you think it means. That's right. <laughs> I do not think that word means what you think it means. Uh, which, by the way, I think I read somewhere that um, Carrie Elwes pronounces his name Carrie Ells. I have no idea for sure. But regardless, I've actually been reading his book about his experience on The Princess Bride. And he tells this fucking hilarious story about Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant getting pissed as fuck at his hotel and passing out in the lobby and people just having to walk around his gigantic body. So I just think that's so funny. And Andre the Giant was just fucking amazing. Carrie Elwes himself says it's like Elvis with a W. Oh, well, I stand corrected. I don't know where I'd read that, but I was obviously very wrong. It's because a lot of people pronounce it Elways. Elways, uh, Elways, Elways. You but think about it's like Elvis, but with a W. Think about, too, how many amazing actors were in that film that did so many other amazing things. Well, think about how not amazing actors there were. Name two people who were in it that weren't in other stuff. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, True. everybody like Chris Sarandon. Since we were talking about Susan Sarandon, Chris Sarandon. Yeah. She used to be married to him. That's how she got her last name. I know. And he was great um, in Fright Night. For anyway. a long time, I thought he was her brother. <laughs> I did too. Oh, my gosh. 
<laughs> and then, and then, um, of course, Christopher Guest, who oh, yeah. can do Mr. no wrong in my Mr. eyes. Mr. Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. And well, the king. Beyond of the that, I think he's way better than her. So. <sighs> okay. We'll take up arms on that later. But he is the king of the fucking mockumentary. I yes, mean, he is. He absolutely is. is. And I absolutely considered. Oh, let me guess. Best in show? Nope. That wasn't really during this time. Oh, true. What was Waiting for Guffman was the first one, wasn't it? No. Or are you thinking going back to Spinal Tap? That's what I was talking about. There we go. I knew you'd get there. I knew you'd get there. Because it goes to 11. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I thought about Spinal Tap as one of mine, but I didn't get there. It's a damn good one. There's so many good ones. Holy shit. But yeah, Princess Bride. (laughs) I mean, who doesn't know and love Princess Bride and can name most of the cast, even not even beyond Carrie Elwes yeah. and Robin Wright, but to like Wallace Shawn, Andre the Giant, Mandy Patinkin, Christopher Guest. What about the Princess Bride though shaped our generation? You know what? I think. Um, well, I can do this anecdotally, right? Mm-hmm. So one thing it taught me is when you find true love, it's worth fighting for. And if that person you are truly in love with never comes back again, then it's better to just be alone. Oh, well, technically, Buttercup didn't want to be with Humperdinck. Exactly. She didn't she was, choose that. She was going to kill herself on their wedding night. Yep. Because fuck this noise, I'm out. And yep. not that I advocate, you know... Self-harm. Right. (laughs) We're not advocating self-harm, anybody. (laughs) She was working within the confines of the time period in which she existed. Okay. Which fucked over women. Sure. Not better. Anyway. But yeah, that's that's one thing. And if it's meant to be, it'll happen despite all the odds. So. Okay. um, Plus, um, like, everyone has value. Yeah. Because you think about it, like uh, Fezzik had gotten together all these outcasts, basically, and they all had value. Um, Not Fezzik, he didn't do it. Well, Wallace Shawn's character. Yeah. Yeah. Fezzik said to go back to the beginning. I went back to the beginning. That's what I thought. So, um, but he, uh, I mean, he got, he's the one who got Mandy Patinkin's character and Andre the Giant's character together, which is kind of what spurred all this other thing. If he hadn't had that perfect storm of people involved in the plot, what else might have happened? So, you know, it, fate and things that are meant to be are going to be and that kind of thing. Vizini. Vizini. Oh, yes. That's what I meant. Fezzig was Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant was Fezzik. That's why I'm like, he's not the one that did that. I am very sorry. Um, I used Crystal Head and it's knocking me on my ass. That's okay. I used Absolute Elix because I thought it would give a little bit of extra depth to the drink. Go you, mixologist. I know. I'm fancy. So what's the next movie on your list, my love? Well, you know, since you're kind of talking about period pieces, I'm going to pull in a 1986 movie, Stand By Me. Ah. Okay, nice. So overall, this is a story about how one moment or one decision can completely change your life. It's kind of, in in some ways, it sort of is like Thelma and Louise. It's about how friends and how important they can be 
And even though towards the end of the film, when they talk about how some of the boys grew apart and at the very end, the narrator who was um, Richard Dreyfus, by the way, uh-huh. says, you know, friends come in and out of your life, like bus boys at a restaurant. He talks about how some of the boys, they just got to the point where they would see them occasionally. He always kept in contact with Chris Chambers. And then when Chris died, he said, and I'll miss him forever. Now, you know, so it was really a movie about learning from a life changing experience and then making changes or modifying your life in some way because of it. You know, Chris Chambers in the movie came from the wrong side of the tracks. He was from a really rough family. But as we find out from the narrator, he went on to become a lawyer and a public defender and fight for people who needed his help. And so he actually was killed defending somebody. You know, somebody was being robbed and he tried to intervene and that's how he got killed. And it seems very appropriate and at the same time, it just it just reemphasizes that every decision we make can have ramifications. Yeah. But that also no decision, except something that kills you, hmm. uh, no decision has to be permanent. No situation that you're in has to be a permanent situation. You can make the changes in your life that you need to make to get you to where you want to be might take a lot of work and it might suck, but you can get there. That is awesome. How life affirming are you today? I know I'm very existential. I know. Damn. Good. Yeah. That's kind of a theme of our generation. I mean, I really do. I think Hmm. we as sort of this sandwich generation have the idea that look, Mm. This sucks right now, but all I have to do is get through this and I can get to the next place that I have to be. I can manifest the things that I choose to manifest and it'll get better. Yeah. You know, that's, that's very good. I like that. Um, How does that tie into one of your next movies? Well, let me see. I got to pull my list back out, my revised list, because my list did not revise appropriately. So yeah, this was like 67 movies long. I know it was really hard because there's a lot of amazing, amazing stuff. Okay, so I would say, okay, um, well, okay, things uh, about being the sandwich generation. I'm gonna go with uh, something that was kind of a legacy for our generation that finally went away to an extent in our generation, but may have come back during our time what's that well i'm gonna throw out the movie red dawn Ooh, shit because when we were younger when this came out i mean this was during the era where i consistently had nightmares about nuclear disasters yeah i mean i mean consistently we were still yeah i mean we're still living under the constant threat that at any moment um, someone might push a button and life as we know it is done. Um, and then the late eighties happened, the Berlin wall came down, communism fell or, you know, USSR fell and we're like, okay, we made it through the other side. And now we're like, okay, we're looking at Russian hackers again and all this other mm-hmm. stuff. Motherfucker, I would like this to quit 
defining our generation. And you look at all the actors who were in it, too. They were the quintessential defining actors. Yeah, they were. Without looking, I can tell you um, Jennifer Jennifer Grey, Patrick Swayze. Who I um, met. Yeah, I know. Go you, because I was typing up, I was spreadsheeting in her episodes, and I'm like, oh, yeah, the one where she met Patrick Swayze. There we go. Yeah. Um, I mean, you think about the actors who are in it and what they were doing, and I think it shows how we were feeling at the time. Like, okay, we had, as a sandwich generation, we felt like we were... Um, I mean, at the time we were the youth, but you know, we weren't sandwiched yet that came later, but we felt like we were the ones who had to bust through a certain construct in order to make things happen. So the fact that there are teenagers winning a war against these highly trained, um, Russian invaders. Yeah. I, it felt good. It was affirming for us. I think that ponies well with mine. See, I said ponies because um, C. Thomas Howell was in that and he was Pony Boy. Yes. Well, I was wondering if that's where you were going. <laughs> well, no, I didn't pick The Outsiders. I could have, but I'm actually going to go with War Games. Nice. I, too, had absolute nightmares about nuclear war. And I did a lot of studying about it and I wrote papers for school about it like constantly. <laughs> and I was like, every time we go to bed, we could just like not wake up because nuclear war. Mm. And, you know, there was that movie The Day After. Oh, it my was God. actually filmed in Lawrence, Kansas, where my grandfather lived. And he got to be an extra like in the scene where everything's parked on the highway, like one of his, his car is there and he like gets out of his car and they like pan out and show everybody watching the explosion in the distance. He's in that scene. And I'm like, holy shit. I got to think, cause your grandpa was in World War II, wasn't he? Yes. I got to think how weird, how much must have been an extra in that have affected him in some ways. He was more than in World War II. He was oh. a CB. And he was stationed on Tinian Island. He built the shed where the Enola Gay was housed before it went on its bombing run. Oh, shit. Okay. So talk about full circle, right? No shit. But with war games. (coughs) (coughs) But with war games, in some ways, it's like the ultimate anti-war film. And there's Mm -hmm. not a single life lost. Which is amazing. It totally shows that you can't win a nuclear war. It's true then, and it's always going to be true. And it it truly was my biggest fear growing up. Mm. And I did learn, though, that when Ronald Reagan saw this film at the White House, and they did a screening there, it, it, he, he was so disturbed by the implications of this that he went to a cabinet meeting, asked the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to look into whether or not hacking into government computers was actually possible. And a lot of people thought, oh my God, that's so stupid because he's so out of touch. Computers are, you know, only government and big business and public doesn't have that. But it turned out that even though it wasn't as dire as the movie scenario, all of the government systems were very, very exposed to hacking and were actually likely being hacked by foreign governments. And so they doubled down on security and they invested in some new firewalls and figured out how to do all this stuff. So because of that movie, our government systems improved. Wow. That's amazing. Cybersecurity became a thing in the 80s. Because of a movie. That's fucking awesome. 
Yeah. Wow. But, you know, good and good for, you know, people in that time being adept right. enough to know we need to get our shit together. And again, this was a movie where a kid was like, hey, y'all, look, I just took down all your shit. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't actually mean to do that. I thought we were just playing a good game, but whoops. <laughs> I know it's not tic-tac-toe. Yeah. It is not tic-tac-toe. Yeah. You know what I think is the funniest part of that movie in retrospect? What? Right, the dial-up. Remember when he'd had to like take his phone and like put it on the cr- take it off the cradle for the phone and put it on the special modem? That's how it was then, though. I you know. know. Remember? Do you remember like CompuServe discs you'd get in the mail and you'd like use them like you'd get the little disc at and you'd stick it in your computer and you'd have like 13 hours of free internet and be all. You had to plug the phone line in. I know. I remember in law school when we had to get a separate phone line for Mm -hmm. our dial-in modem because so many of us were trying to use the internet at the same time, but we couldn't get our phone calls from anyone in the meantime. Yeah. So, yeah, that was fun. Oh, my gosh. That's, uh, I had to lighten that up a bit because that was deep. Well, it... (laughs) <laughs> it was a scary time. I mean, think about it. Red Dawn and War Games, they were fighting the same fight. They were. In different ways. Were. But it was the same fight. The same yeah. enemy. We had an enemy at that time that was a recognized enemy. Right now, our enemy can just be anywhere. Right? It could yeah. be anybody. I anybody know. next to us. It could be somebody on the airplane with us. It could be somebody in the grocery store with us yeah you don't have a, an enemy a defined enemy no it doesn't you know what i would be very if anyone if any of our listeners know if there's a psychological paper on this i mean i know the association of zombies with um uh the rise of commercialism and vampires i can't remember the social significance Bankers. right now <laughs> probably probably I, the I financial live- industry i would guess that zombies like vampires are like the financial industry. Probably, because I remember living through the SNL um, bus, which is about the time Lost Boys came out. Whole other right. issue. Um, but, you know, I'd be very curious to see what people are having nightmares and shit about now. Because it's, I know the movies are all over the fucking map. Well, right now, everybody's having nightmares about COVID. Well, there's and Black that. Lives Matter and, and, you know, things like that. Yeah. And rightfully so. I mean... Yeah, but it's not express. I haven't, I don't know, maybe I've just not opened my eyes yet. I haven't seen the pop culture representation of it yet or a pattern, but maybe it's all, all over the map. It's can everything. I bring in, can I bring in another one? Fuck, go for it. All right. Because we kind of were talking about like current situations and how things are right now. Mm-hmm. I want to bring up Spike Lee's film from 1989 called Do the Right Thing. Yeah, which is an excellent choice. I even told John the Brit about your pick on that when I was still trying to finalize my Scylla's of yet non-finalized list. And he's like, oh, good pick. Yeah, it's particularly appropriate right now because for those of you who don't know the story, um, I'm going to be super brief about it. There was a pizza house in um, Bed-Stuy in New York and um, owned by some Italian folks. And some black kids worked there. One of the black kids' friends came in and was like, hey, on your wall of fame, how come you don't have any black people? And the Italian guy's like, we just want Italians up there. And the black guy's like, 
I think you should book black people. So he left and came back and he had a, a black celebrity and he had a picture of him and he's like, I want you to put this black guy up here. And he's like, no, I don't want to. And so they started to yell at each other and they went out in the street and started yelling at each other. And, uh, some other people came over and basically they just kind of started fighting. That's all they were doing is fighting. Cops got called. Um, the cops grabbed one of the black kids and one of the cops put one of them in a chokehold. Ooh. Oh no. And even though the other cops were saying, let him go, even though the onlookers were saying, let him go, he choked him until he died. Oh, I'm like, Oh my God, that is, that just happened like 10 minutes ago. Yeah. So it was actually inspired by an actual incident in New York city. Spike Lee wrote it in like two weeks directly for the screen. Wow. When I saw it, it was the very first like kind of stylized film that I remember seeing like color wise. It was very, um, the color palette was like deep reds and things like that. And it has that feeling of a very hot kind of indolent, sticky New York still day. And the mm. cinematography has got a lot of weird vantage points and angles, but they were used really well to illustrate the different things. And they worked with the style of the movie. And just a couple years after this came out, Rodney King. Oh, oh so yeah. this was a huge milestone and was something that was really impactful for me. I lived in Michigan at the time and we had a school um, at a school that was probably 50% black. And, you know, we had a few other minorities, but it was mostly black and white. And I honestly never thought about the black kids as being different from me. Hmm. No, I won't say I didn't see color because obviously I knew they were black and I was not black. I'm the most white person you could possibly see, except for <laughs> a little sunburned. But <laughs> overall, I just always considered them just people like me. And I never understood why people would have a problem. Like if you're dating, if this white girl is dating this black guy, why is that a problem? I mean, I've always yeah. felt like love is love, whether you're a black person and a white person dating, whether you're two guys, whether you're two girls, whether you're, I don't even know, but love is love. People yeah. are people. I've always felt this way. And I think that this was one of the first times that I really felt kind of stigmatized by, wow, is that, is that what it's like in the world? Yeah. Hard. I, you know, I um uh I feel you on that cuz I remember in so I grew up in a very very small town in the Midwest. There were pretty much very few if any minorities the majority of the time I went to school. But I remember there was a uh, a black boy in my class in second grade. Mhm. But only for a couple of months. And I thought he was fine. I didn't socialize with hardly anyone then because I was shy as fuck. Um, but I would play uh, tetherball with him from time to time. Thought he was nice enough. And then one day he just was gone. 
and I asked my teacher, you know, what's going on? They were like, well, they moved. And I went home and I asked mom and dad, I'm like, how come he moved? And they're like, well, and I can't find anything in any newspaper to verify this. But at the time, I don't know what would have happened. But mom and dad were like, well, someone burned a cross in their front lawn. Oh, no. So they moved. And I remember thinking at the time, that's the stupidest shit ever. What were they thinking? And that's when my mom sat me down and told me about when in the 50s, um, they went on a school trip with band and um, stopped at a restaurant on the way to the band contest they were going to. And one, uh, not one, two of her classmates stayed on the bus and didn't go into the restaurant. And mom was like, why aren't you going in? They're like, we're not allowed. And mom's like, why the fuck wouldn't you be allowed? Because she was as naive as I was about that. Like, why not? They don't serve black people there. And mom's like, well, excuse me. And she went in and got food and came out and sat and ate with them. Because she's like, fuck that noise. That's stupid. Yeah, that's so, dumb. Yeah. So but I feel you. I just think it's, a, it's just something that I literally can't wrap my brain around. Why somebody would have a problem with that. Me neither. It makes no sense. So but it's even worse that here we are 30 years after do the right thing. Here we are 70 years after the <coughs> 70 years after the civil rights movement. And, you know, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. And we're still fighting for equal rights for blacks. And we're fighting for people to be treated the same way. And and mm. we're fighting for equal rights for gays and equal rights for women. Mm. And like, what the fuck is wrong? What the hell? And I know. It seems like it's much more prevalent here than in a lot of other developed nations. I, I almost know. understand it in more third world nations and things like that because... They just haven't progressed as far. But if you look at places like Switzerland, they don't have these problems, do they? I, I mean, I don't know for sure. I've never like really done the math on it. But, <laughs> um, it just seems like I don't hear about this kind of shit there. And I, I don't understand the people who say, well, if you're saying Black Lives Matter, that means cops' lives don't matter. Well, that's not Which true doesn't. either. There's black cops. But yeah. Honestly, I, I truly believe... The answer to the whole thing, to everything, is kindness. Yes, I know. Because if everybody was being kind to one another, cops wouldn't get called into domestic violence calls where they were in danger. Mm. Cops wouldn't have to go break up bar fights. Cops wouldn't have to go do all these other things. Um, You know, if everybody was kind and that was just the behavior that everybody had, they were kind and respectful and, and wonderful to one another... Cops' jobs wouldn't be so dangerous. Everything else would be just fine. So, yeah. And I, I don't want to get into existential stuff. We need to get back on topic. But I know it's true. just I feel like this is something that shaped my thinking because it was something that awakened me to a new reality that I wasn't aware of. And I think that it kind of did that for a lot of people, which is why it was so well thought of. And it was his first film that he produced mm. and, and directed. So it really kind of paved the way for so many other of the Spike Lee joints. No. Yeah. So I think that it's remarkable for that in addition to 
being remarkable for the fact that it portrayed true events. Yeah. Okay. You know, go you and I will. Okay. How about I lighten things all the way the fuck up? Yes, please. Okay. So I'm almost done with this drink. Uh Oh, I think another movie that defined our generation, um, at least for the extremely geeky among us, I'm going with um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh, fuck yes. <laughs> we just saw that in the theater. Oh, my gosh. Really? Yeah. They had it at our movie theater, like, right before COVID happened. We're like, yay, we can go see this. And it was like, I want to say it was like March 13th and like March 27th. Everything went on lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Oh, my gosh. It. Speaking of quotable movies, hearkening back a couple, because, again, I'm trying to lighten things yeah. to fuck up. Um, oh, my gosh. I think I pissed off more than a few people in my lifetime by showing them the movie for the first time, yet talking over it the entire time, reciting the lines with the characters. Yeah. So I would almost go with, like, almost the entirety of the Monty Python movie collection. Like, I like their movies better than the show. Oh, yeah, uh, the show was good. The show the movies, was good, but the movies were phenomenal. Like Life of Brian, Meaning of Life, Holy Grail. I mean, they're all just eminently quotable. We say, and in fact, especially during this plague-ridden time that we're in, we're like, I'm not dead yet. I know. <laughs> I'm actually feeling better. <laughs> but, uh, well, I got to admit, um, well, on special occasions, I go, and then the oral sex. But anyway, um <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's, I think Monty, Gra- Monty Python and the Holy Grail in particular, Holy Grail was, <laughs> I know, but it was just so, maybe it's because it's the first one I saw, but it was the one that's most indelibly in my mind, uh, just because of the, a lot of it, the pure, um, what's the word I'm looking for, complete ridiculousness of it is the best word I can think of. Yeah. Cause I mean the way it, I mean, okay. So I had to explain and he's probably listening. I love you nephew, but I had a nephew um, said, huh, they said so-and-so got sacked. And I'm like, and he goes, that's funny. Cause it's rude. And I'm like, means he got fired. And he goes, what? And he goes, that's what mom said too. That can't possibly be right. And I'm like, no, it means they got fired. What? And I'm like, have you not seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail? And he goes, I didn't think that's what they meant. But the opening credits, <laughs> the producers responsible for the credits have been sacked. I mean, it's just, that's how I learned what sacked meant. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyway. Did you hear about the Fox News people quoting Monty Python? <laughs> yes, I did. And it was awesome. Do tell. That was kind of the best thing ever. Like found it on a found it on a Reddit board, <laughs> and then John Cleese had the best reaction to it. Did you see that? Yeah, that's how I found out about it. Cause John the Brit was telling me, "Did you? I know you follow John Cleese on Twitter. Did you see this?" <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. So for those of you who are listeners who did not see this, they were talking about Seattle and the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. Um, so. They were talking about the scene in the Monty Python and the Holy Grail where where he said, hold on. Okay, while you're looking for that, I have to say one of my favorite, favorite quotes ever is um, your mother was a hamster and your father smelled of elderberries. 
how great is that? And John the Brit, um, I made him when we were when we were still dating. I made him a mug at the local pottery place with his favorite quote, which is, "Are you suggesting coconuts migrate?" <laughs> there you anyway. go. Anyway, all right, hold on, it's playing something. Okay. All right, here we go. So, all right, hold on. <laughs> So what actually happened was Fox News found some people talking about this um, area in Seattle and saying they didn't vote for Raz Simone, who is calling himself the unofficial leader of the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. And somebody quoted Monty Python on Reddit and said, I thought we had an autonomous collective, an anarcho-syndicalist commune at least. We should take it in turns to act as sort of executive officer for the week. And so Fox News quoted that as though that was like their idea of what was really happening. <laughs> and so, if they didn't follow it with help, help, I'm being oppressed, come see the violence yeah. inherent in the system, then they suck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so oh then. Um, <laughs> oh, no, the poor people there. Then John Cleese came up and tweeted something about how Fox nobody literally nobody at Fox News has ever seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail <laughs> and um <laughs> oh. so it was like he said breaking news no one at Fox has ever seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail and then <laughs> next time he tweeted it was something equally amazing and I freaking loved it but it absolutely made me think i'm so glad we went and saw that a few weeks ago that's <laughs> <laughs> nice and fresh in your head <laughs> oh my gosh i know i so badly want to show that uh i know nina or i think nina's seen it i so badly want to show it to aj too though but i'm like i know I he'd be show. horrified by parts of it he the parts that you would be horrified would probably go over his head I would hope so. At the Castle Anthrax, I think that entire segment I, needs to go over his but head. But you know what the thing is? It's innocuous enough that I think it would. It did at my at, when I was his age. I think he would miss it. And plus, he's more clueless than you were, so. True. Spankings, ha, ha, ha. I don't know why they want spankings, ha, ha, ha. Anyway. Nobody likes that. I know. That's funny. Anyway. Well. So. Since we're keeping it light, okay, let's, my last yes. two movies are light, but the first one that I want to talk about <clears throat> came out in 1980. I believe it should be required viewing for literally everybody. Every oh. age group enjoys this movie. It's even sort of a family movie. I think kids and adults 100% should enjoy watching it. I think it's got a huge rewatch factor. It has angry nuns. It has angry police. <laughs> angry country and western bands angry Nazis, angry ex-girlfriends. It's got amazing music, an insane amount of car crashes. It's got Picasso sculptures. It's got crazy cameos. It's the Blues Brothers. Oh, it's keeping with the theme of highly quotable movies. Holy shit, yes. I constantly am saying to people, it's got cop shocks, (laughs) cop windshield, Cap engine, cap shacks, cap tires. <laughs> Every time I'm wondering what to drink, I go orange whip, orange whip, three orange whips. Yes. In fact, I was looking for a recipe for orange whip today. And I was just like vodka and orange juice and something else. And I'm like, that's boring. That's not even a good drink. 
I really don't think every movie to be a generation defining movie doesn't have to be like Gandhi or Schindler's List or anything like that to be great. I think it's any movie that will make you feel something for whatever reason, makes you laugh. It's the ones that you remember because it's unique or it leaves an imprint on our culture. And I think this movie does that absolutely by way of the music alone. Oh, I know the music because tell me, has anyone ever heard a better version of Minnie the Moocher? Hello, no. No. It's or respect. Oh, I think in that one it was think. Respect was the sequel. Oh, yeah, you're right. It was yeah. think. You're think right. What you doing to me? Think, think. You are not black. I know. I'm no Aretha. Um, but the song's amazing. It's an amazing movie. It's got so many cameos. Like everybody. Everybody's in that movie. Holy shit. I- I know. Even. Oh, I don't know if we're ready to segue yet. Because that movie's fucking amazing. Well, we can use it to segue because I did say angry ex-girlfriends. But before we do, <laughs> I want to say one of my favorite part is the hut, 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 and for people who didn't know, I, th- I believe that was Steven Spielberg in the Cook County Courthouse. Absolutely was. Absolutely and- was. And Frank Oz was the one who had to get the one condom used yeah. out of uh, yeah, it was gross. out of Jake's personal possessions. <laughs> have, you oh my. Ordered, have you ever wanted to go in someplace and order four fried chickens and dry white toast? Yes. <laughs> uh, oh I freaking love that movie. And honestly, I like the other ones too. And it's not because they're good movies. It's just because I love the Blues Brothers so much. And I did like the one with Erica Badu. You know, I got to admit, um, it's got the best version of Funky Nassau I've ever yes! heard. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh. That, uh, Gator Bottom Boys or whatever the fuck their name was. That was an incredible band. Holy what? shit. Oh, my gosh. It. And Eric Clapton and B.B. King and like, holy fuck, how did you get all these people to be in this movie? I know. And even John the Revelator. That's the best version of John the Revelator. Yep. I think the Blues Brothers, as far as cameos, was like the what we do in the shadows of movies. Thank you. Plus, my buddy Dan. You know. Dan. Yeah. So... Yeah, oh. Blue Brother had an angry girlfriend. You want to tell me about her? Oh, yeah. I want to tell you about that angry girlfriend because I fucking love and adore and idolize her. It's on my list, too, by the way, that next movie. Totally uh, on my list. I know. I, I was going to actually punt it to you for another one, but um, it was Fair. on both our lists. It was like, okay, we'll share this one because fucking Star Wars and Carrie yeah. Fisher and Princess and Leia. Talk about our generation without talking about Star Wars. Did you know there's actually a thing called the Star Wars Generation? No, we're it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's supposed to be like 1976 to 83 or something like that. This really, really brief period of time. Um, Fuck that noise. We get in on the shit. Fuck them. I I think they're like hogging it. Yeah. Because bullshit. Did they have to beg their family members to take them to the theater 11 fucking times to see it? Because that was unheard of then. My parents didn't take me. I was <gasps> not see it in the theaters. No. It was too grown up for me. 
Oh, wow. But when See, I thought for real at the library later <laughs> on, oh my God, it was amazing. Oh, my, um, my second sister took me to see it at the theater. And I remember going, <gasps> and mostly at Princess fucking Leia, because mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, she's being a badass. Wow, she didn't wait for them to save her. She's like getting them into the trash compactor and finding them a way out. Oh, my gosh, she's awesome. She's so, doing all the things. I know. She was a badass. And yeah, I loved was. And she was a brunette badass, which for me was huge. Yeah. Anyway, but she was a badass and that was so awesome. Made me so happy. I'm like, the woman's taking the fucking lead. She's doing all the things and she's handing out the awards because she's amazing. I think that's the thing. Representation matters. Absolutely. Damn straight it does. So anyway. I think the best thing about Star Wars They didn't pretend to be perfect. They made mistakes, but they fought on the side of good in a universe that was clearly divided into dark and light, which at our time in the, in our world, we had a very divided universe. I mean, we had a very divided world. We were the, we were the light and the bad guys were the dark, you know, we had that. And so while we had that kind of dichotomy, we also had this beautiful relief from that kind of ambiguity of what was happening in the rest of the world. Like, cause as kids, we didn't really have a good grasp of why they were the bad guys and what made them bad. So it kind of helped me to think of them as the empire <laughs> and us <laughs> as the rebels. I, do you kind of feel some bad sometimes for the Ninas and Millies and AJs of the world that they're not going to have that clear delineation between good and bad? Yeah, I do in some ways. Kids have it hard now because bad can be anything. Like, yeah. bad could be their next door neighbor. Bad and it could be anything. In some ways, it's good because we recognize there's so many sides to every story. But in some ways, it's like... It's confusing. It's confusing as hell. It is. It really is. All right. Well, I feel like I stole one of yours because I know Star Wars was all, also on your list. So It was, but I got to say my thing. <laughs> there we go. So shall I close this out with one yeah. more? What do you have? What's your last one? All right. I got to go once again. You know, Dan Erkroyd's going like, to get a lot of play on this list because I'm going Ghostbusters. Yes, absolutely Ghostbusters. Oh, my oh, gosh. Because, yeah. again, fucking quotable. Quotable. Also, Crystal Head. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> she sleeps above the covers. Six feet above the covers. <laughs> I'm the gatekeeper. I know. Are you the key, are you the key master? I'm the gatekeeper. <laughs> no fee is oh wait, no. Um no whatever is too big, no fee is too big. So yeah, there's so many. Yeah. But yeah, I mean how much I I wonder how much of that. I mean I know there, no, there have been ghost movies and some comedies and stuff like that, but how many of them had that perfect blend of humor and um, paranormal and just so much have, shit going on. I have a really hard time thinking of how they could have cast it any differently. Every once in a while I'll hear like, so-and-so was going to play this part. And like, um, 
Dan Aykroyd was going to play the Bill Murray part. And um, see what I've heard is um, the Bill Murray part was going to be John Belushi and the Ernie Hudson part was going to be Eddie Murphy. Which would have been completely different. Yeah, it would have been a completely different show. Yeah. I also heard that... I also heard that Harold Ramis was supposed to play the Dan Aykroyd part and that Dan Aykroyd might play his part. So they, that was going to switch up, but wow. I don't see that working either. I know. Cause Dan I could Aykroyd almost, sense. I could almost see Eddie Murphy in the, in the Ernie Hudson part, but I don't think it would have worked because he would have tried to showboat it too much. He wasn't yeah. subtle enough. Ernie Hudson was perfect for that. Cause he was just, he was subtle and yet he could do the reactions uh, if there's a steady paycheck in it, I'll believe anything you tell me. He <laughs> <laughs> was so fucking good. And, and they already had a showboater with Bill Murray. Yeah. Let's yeah. be real. Yeah. And he was perfectly showboating. Oh, it. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I loved him. Yeah. I thought he was hilarious. I loved that movie. And honestly, I loved the other incarnations of it. I liked Ghostbusters, too. And I literally liked the one with the girls. With I the women. I thought that was hilarious. Although... Kate I McKinnon. have to admit, I kind of thought that Chris Hemsworth was the best part. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I mean, not only is he handsome, but he was really funny in that, like being so stupid and like sticking himself in the eyes and like not answering the phone. And then oh. once he got like possessed and all of that, he was really funny. Like he did a great job with that. Oh, damn straight. Anyone who can hold his own in a comedic film with Kate McKinnon, Melissa McCarthy, and Kristen Wiig. Yeah. Fucking talent. Yeah. And Leslie Jones, because holy (gasps) shit. Oh, my gosh. How did I not mention my hero, fucking Leslie Jones? I love her so much, and I idolize that motherfucking amazing woman. Holy shit. All four of them are just incredible. Like, oh, amazing. I, and I actually really liked the movie, and I would totally see a Ghostbusters girl, too, or whatever they want to call it. And how awesome was Leslie Jones as the, like, subway person who's just like, fuck, if you're in, I'm fucking in, and you're yeah. not going to keep me out, are you? No, you're not. <laughs> I like the part. I like the part where she was trying to get the ghost out of Melissa McCarthy, and she's like, the power of Patty compels you. I know. <laughs> I love when she was in the audience and the thing was on her shoulder. She's like, it's right on me, isn't it? Oh, my God. I'm like, don't. Nope. I'm going home. Don't tell me. Nope. Don't tell me anything. Don't tell oh, me. Oh, gosh. I mean, really, you like the original Ghostbusters, you really could not pack that with more amazing fucking people. I thought they were wonderful. And I think it's completely ridiculous that it didn't get more critical acclaim. And I think it's just misogynistic. I, I agree, too. I mean, I think the only thing I really had an issue is, is they're trying to shoe in, shoehorn in too many references to the old one, which I, feel I like think they had to, you know, I otherwise people done, would have been disappointed. Yeah, but the, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man and Slimer, I could have done okay without them. It, yeah. But that said, how many thing how many things do other movies shove in? True. As like a shout out, thinking everyone's going to love this and it's really not needed and they don't get criticized as much for it. Right, right. So I think it was completely undersold and I'm really pissed. I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. I I did. We bought it. 
cool. I know that AJ, re- I feel kind of bad about this. AJ actually refuses to watch the original because he loved the new one so much and loved all the strong women in it. And I feel like I'm raising that boy right. Yes. But I need to get him to watch the original. But he has to watch the original. Just tell him he's grounded until he does. You can't watch the new one again until you watch the first. I think that's fair because until you've seen, you know, um, Rick Moranis running around talking about how he watches the 20-minute workout on fast forward <laughs> you do it half the time. Yeah. You haven't lived. Yeah. So, yes. Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah, you got to, like, you got to nip that shit in the bud. That's right. I've been a bad mom. I need to work on that. Okay. So, yeah. So, there we go. There's so many more movies we could have mentioned. and There are. We? Yeah. There oh, absolutely gosh. are. And but it's only an hour show. <laughs> I know. So we got to cut it off at some point. And I see by the timer we're coming up on the hour mark. So, well, okay. So okay. anyhow, as you know, the drinks we drink can be found at alwaysneverwrite.com. If you have something you'd like to hear us talk about, tell us by hitting the contact us page or ping us on the Facebook page, and we'll do all we can to make sure that we discuss your topic. And we do have some guests coming up in our upcoming episodes who've reached out in just that way. So stay tuned. We've got some really cool stuff that we're excited about. Oh yeah. And remember to tell all your friends so they can find us wherever they get, uh, wherever they get their digital media um, and feel free to pip us out as often and as um, all over the place as you would like. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She's not very good at that part. This has been another cinematic episode of always. Never. Right. I'm Jill. And I'm Gina. And thank you so much for making us a part of your week. We'll talk to you next week, my dolls. And thank you for joining us on the Podfix Network. Standard disclaimer. Always Never Write is in no way, shape, or form performed or produced by professional advice givers. We've just lived a lot. So if any of our life experiences prove useful, we're happy to share, especially if we can share in an entertaining way. But if you have serious problems, please see a therapist, doctor, psychiatrist, life coach, or someone who is actually trained to know what the hell they're doing when passing out advice. Also, please note that most names and the descriptions of many events have been modified to both make things more entertaining and to protect the innocent, the not-so-innocent, and the flat-out guilty as sin assholes. <laughs>